Well, folks, welcome to the Enemies List. I'm Rick Wilson. You know, I missed having a podcast for a while because I had to focus on the mission of the Lincoln Project and on this whole messy thing we've gotten ourselves into called Saving Democracy. And it's been a hell of a ride. And we're continuing that ride as the election of 2022 approaches. And as our democracy, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, teeters on the brink uh, in a country where there are a lot of people who would be just fine with autocracy. And in a country where a lot of people on the other side of that fence couldn't campaign their way out of a wet sack. And the purpose of this podcast is very simple. We're going to have some conversations with smart people. I'm going to pull back the curtain as much as I can for you. There will be occasional F-bombs. Probably not occasional, probably more like frequent. So, you know, hide your kids, hide your pets. It's going to be, uh, there, there will be occasional very blunt language on this show. Now, I want to say that one of the things that that's always inspired people in the last few years about the work the Lincoln Project has done as our, as our team has come together is that we have given people two things. One, we've helped them stay sane in a world where there are incentives on the right that are meant to make them feel unstable, make them feel unsafe, make them feel like they don't know what they're doing, make them feel like they're taking the proverbial crazy pills. We're here to be a counteracting force for that. We're going to pull back the curtain. We're going to call bullshit. We're going to make sure that people understand the fight they're really in. And the fight they're really in right now is a fight between a weaponized media machine and a cultural machine on the far right and on the MAGA right that is meant to destroy this country. Not to put too fine a point on it, they will they will laugh their way you know, into the political grave of this country, owning the libs and breaking down every item of progress in American society in the last 240 years. They're desperately trying to race a culture war uh, into everything we do, into every aspect of American life. And one of the things in our fight since 2019 at the Lincoln Project was to provide people with the context and the knowledge and the ability to fight back, to keep you sane and help you fight. Because folks, the next few years are going to be a fight. You don't get to rest. You don't get to take the time off you wanted. You don't get to blink and think, okay, well, now we're safe. Because a lot of people did that in 2020. And, and a lot of people thought, okay, well, you know, we, we got rid of Trump and, and now it's going to be all sunshine and roses. And folks on both sides of the political spectrum thought that. Republicans thought, okay, well, now we're the party of Glenn Youngkin. And, and there was going to be this, you know, return to the old party. Uh, no. Not only no, but fuck no. The party is dominated now by a cohort of authoritarian and authoritarian curious types. It is enabled by a giant political culture in Washington of consultants and gentry and legacy conservative media. It is dominated by a, an alt-right and right message machine that is spectacularly well distributed, incredibly powerful, and they want to destroy this country in a fundamental way. They want to break the bonds that have held Americans together. They want to change the nature of America from being a propositional nation where, where, the, where the glory and beauty of American citizenship could go to anybody, where rights were universal, where the Constitution and the rule of law mattered. And, you know, to those people, I, I have a really blunt, simple message. Fuck you. We will fight you to the death for this. We will not stop. You know, at the Lincoln Project and, and on this podcast... We're going to be an extended middle finger, and sometimes we're going to be a fist. 
Because folks, I, I have to tell you again and again, you are not going to win this if you just fight it on politics. It has to be fought in the culture. It has to be fought in the economy. It has to be fought in every aspect of American life. The other side is merciless. The other side is, is determined. The other side is vicious. And I know there are so many people on the left and the center who just want to get back to talking about policy. Well, this is not a show about policy. And it probably never will be. We may have guests who talk about policy, but it's going to be in service to giving you the tools to go into this fight against the enemies of freedom, the enemies of democracy, the enemies of the republic, and the enemies of America. And there are a lot of them. One thing we proved at the Lincoln Project was a small group of very determined people could change the tide of history. This is a lesson that's you know, been true forever. I want to help you change the tide of history too. I want to have conversations. I want to give you guys knowledge, weapons to fight this fight, and, and a sense of determination. Even when you're tired, because look, folks, I know a lot of people, they thought after 2016, it can't get any worse. After 2020, it can't get any worse. After January 6th, it can't get any worse. It can always get worse. There's only one thing that's going to keep it from getting worse, and that's you being on the front line. And that's me being on the front line. And that's all of us linking arms and, and saying to this growing movement, this growing global authoritarian movement, fuck you, we will fight you. I know sometimes you feel like your shit filter is full, that you can't handle any more, any more tough talk or bad news. But you know what? Tough talk is good. You ought to have tough talk in your life. You ought to have people who are willing to tell you what's going on, tell you the truth, whether it's pretty or not. If anybody is you know, singing to you that everything is perfect in this country, they are lying. And if anyone tells you this country is, has failed already, they're also lying. We can do this. We can fight back. We have won many battles. Donald Trump managed to lose control of the House and the Senate during his presidency. We managed to defeat Donald Trump in 2020 as, as a country came together to reject a man who was incompetent, who was evil, who was dangerous, who was destructive. And, and as we've seen ever since then, the culture has split. And the people that don't want to have this fight are the people that would rather all of us on this side of the equation just lay down and die. Well, we decline to do so. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is the enemies list. I want to introduce my good friend and Lincoln Project senior advisor, Stuart Stevens, to talk a little bit about what's been going on this week. But Stuart and I are going to talk a little bit about the January 6 hearings and, and a little bit about the sort of infrastructure of conspiracy that is propping up this Republican Party today in a way that, that needs to be addressed and needs to be called out over and over again. Because I told you in the beginning, we have to fight this in the culture, the politics, and the economy if we're going to beat these people. So with that said, Stuart, how are you, buddy? Welcome to the podcast. 
you know, Rick, I've always wanted to be on an enemy's list, and um, I, I think being on yours is a true honor. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm at an undisclosed location, just in case you know, uh, anybody can geolocate this. Um, but uh, the, that, that was a great opening, man. Those are the facts. That's reality. And I think part of the problem we have now is that it is difficult to find the language to talk about without seeming alarmist or crazy. Um, and I think that a lot of this is a language battle. And you might have heard mm -hmm. this before, but you're not bad at this language thing. And I think it helps gives people a vocabulary and a framing to talk about something that is really unique in a moment in our lives. I mean, I think the idea that democracy in peril seems kind of, you know, it seems kind of lurid, almost over the top at first. But when you look at the facts, when you look at the, 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 the actual landscape, we really are in trouble right now as a country. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I've said this before. I think that the greatest challenge is not to, to uh, the greatest danger is not to recognize the greatest danger. I think this is where American exceptionalism probably bites us in the ass because we assume yep. that it will always be this way. But there's, there's no reason we're the world's oldest functioning democracy, which is both encouraging and terrifying. What happens to the others? I think that we have to grasp that there is no reason that it will stay this way. And the way that it mm -hmm. will change is very unlikely to be rolling up tanks. It's not going to be something like Allende in right. Chile, you know, where the, the, the planes are going to bomb the palace. As these people who really study this, like the guys who wrote um, How Democracies Die Love it. and yeah. Bomb, democracy slide into autocracy in the ballot box and in the courtroom. And that is what's happening now. I mean, the, the legal framework, I mean, you've talked about this a lot, the legal framework that they are attempting to construct uh, to make the need for a coup unnecessary right. is one of the most disturbing aspects of this. So if they pass a law in Georgia that the state legislature can overturn the popular vote, when the state legislature overturns the popular vote, it's not illegal. Right. It's a fact. It's done. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to, to just be cognizant of this and fight it. Um, and one of the great lessons, and we saw it uh, in the hearings again yesterday, is a realization of how much of our society has been held together by certain assumptions that people would act in a certain way, that there, there would be a presumption of decency and goodwill. And it's really difficult to write a legal framework that says, okay, the president of the United States should not plot a coup. Like, what, where do you mean? <laughs> right? Where, where, you seem like the basics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 so you put that maybe like, you know, when you sign up to work at the White House now, you agree that you won't plot a coup. Um, it, it's that, and that you know, this is what has always given autocrats a great advantage because uh, the inability for those who uh, love democracy and support democracy to imagine it changing. Um, but you know, you mm -hmm. know these people on the other side, and they're very, very confident. Yeah, and, they're 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 both confident and competent. And, and I think there's a degree to which the Democrats have consistently underestimated the Republican campaign machine that you and I were both a part of for many, many years. You were you were a, a central part of it at the presidential level for, for five races. 
And, and I think they underestimate that the most of the people that you and I used to be friends with in the, in the consultocracy are completely on board. They're, 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 they don't care about anything except their personal uh, and financial survival in the DC ecosystem. So they've been able to swallow the craziness of authoritarianism and jump into races like Dr. Oz and Doug Mastriano and Carrie Lake and, and, and a variety of these insane people that ordinarily would have never made it past like the first wave of scrutiny at, at one of the political, you know, there used to be a day when the, when the NRSC or the RGA uh, would look at a candidate like a Doug Mastriano or a Carrie Lake or a Blake Masters and say, get the hell out of here. What are you talking about? That guy's insane. That woman's insane. No. And now, you know, the, all the incentives are on that side of the equation. As you know, you know, Mitch McConnell tried to get his people in Georgia and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Arizona over over these MAGA style Trump style candidates. And, and it, it really is a lesson, no matter how much money he had and how much power McConnell has in Washington, and no matter how many consultants throw themselves at it, the Republican base wants the crazy. They want the evil. They want the cruelty. Yeah, and, and even um, when you have a candidate that, you know, a guy I, I think we probably both at another era would have thought was a good client, Glenn Youngkin. He had a lot of money. Right. He was like an okay guy. And people, you know, how many people told us, look, Glenn Youngkin, he's not crazy, seemed like a decent guy. Um, yeah, hedge, hedge, fund, hedge fund dude, you know. It, it, in that weird pattern of Virginia politics, a uh, uh, party that didn't win the presidential race usually wins the next governor's mm -hmm. race. So it was set up to be sort of a, a, a downhill push. Um, but now look at what's happened. Because Glenn Youngkin is an ambitious guy. He wants to be president. He has to buy into what is the craziness of the Republican Party. So he's out campaigning for Terry Lake. So Terry Lake is someone who doesn't believe the, that, that Joe Biden is president of the United States, who right. has said that Arizona has to fire the federal government, um, <laughs> which you know, I, I'm really not sure how that works. I have a sinking suspicion as Southerners, Rick, that it's something like our ancestors tried before and it really kind of didn't work out. That did not uh, work out as well as people it, anticipated. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, not, not, hey, let's do that again. So they'll be like, no Social Security, no Medicare, no military bases, no DEA at the border, uh, no national parks. And look, this, this is someone who right now is just this sort of kook. But yeah. if you elect a governor, you're going to have a lot of power. And there is no way that if the election in Arizona in 2024 goes for a Democrat, she's going to say it's legitimate. Sure. She and will come out and bold as brass say it was stolen, it, it was, was fake, stolen. it was manipulated, blah, 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 blah. She, it's funny because she's already claiming... She was claiming before her own primary, before she won her primary, oh, we're seeing a lot of cheating going on. And then suddenly it was the best election ever, the most integrity ever. Yeah, you know, this is what always gets me about all these election denier guys. You get these congressmen and senators, they were elected on the same ballot as Donald Trump, but they're saying that the election was rigged. So, so how is that work now, exactly? Like, it's just the bottom two-thirds of the ballot was okay, but the top third the presidential was rigged 
I really it's a it, it's I, it's I, an I, inexplicable I, mystery, Stuart. I, I, when you put your ballot in, something happens, and only like it, it, it's really I'm not quite really sure. I never could figure that out. Um, and now I just have to say because it's a, a little obsession of mine, secretaries of states run the elections in all these states. Mm-hmm. There are Republican secretaries of states, and there are Democrat elected uh, or Republican Democrat secretary of states and Republican secretary of states. Most are elected, some are appointed. Right. Not one has said that the election in their state was flawed. Not one. Correct. And there are, I think, more Republican Secretary of State than our Democrat Secretary of State. So yes. you kind of have to say, okay, all of, the, all of this stuff about the election being uh, rigged and all this stuff, the people who are in your own party who run the elections don't say that. But, it, you know, look, I, I think if you could take away one building block of democracy that and if you wanted to destroy a democracy i think probably the most critical building block you could take away is faith in an election sure you have to believe that an election was fair and that people were able to express their opinion in a way mm-hmm. in which votes are counted and to do that somebody has to be willing to lose you don't, you know, it's not, it's not the idea that everybody, you know, well, look, I won, he won, uh, she won. One person is going to win that election, which means one person is going to lose. And what I mean, Biden has laid this out beautifully. You know, Republicans yep. have come to the opinion that when they win, it's, it's valid. And when they don't, it's a conspiracy. There is something about this that is very convenient because ultimately, if you believe that you never lose an election, you're just cheated. I, I, there's no reason to believe that this won't continue to spread in the Republican Party. There's no one out there right. who has a center of gravity, who has influence in the Republican Party, who's fighting this. Here's a classic example of the, of the rich hypocrisy of this stuff. The, the Florida Secretary of State, the prior Florida Secretary of State, she's running for Congress now, came out in the 2020 election, said it was the cleanest, best election ever run in the state of Florida. So what does Ron DeSantis do when he takes when he, when, he, when the in the, the beginning of 2021, they pass a huge suite of new voter restriction laws, an enormous list of laws. They form an election police force, which I don't know if that doesn't scare the shit out of people. I don't know what will in terms of, of wild overreach of state power. And then they arrested this year 20 African-American men. And weirdly, they were all African-American men. How strange. I can't, I can't imagine what caused that coincidence who were former felons who had served their time, done their restitution and under Florida law, supposedly could reapply to get their voter registration. The county officials said, you are allowed to re-register. So they re-registered to vote. Well, DeSantis had them arrested. And because, oh, it's these terrible frauds. We've got to stop election fraud in Florida. But then when the hurricane Ian hit, a little while ago, a couple weeks ago, we just found out that now DeSantis wants to reduce all the voter ID restrictions for Southwest Florida. He wants to, to let everybody just come on in, no ID required, do your thing, folks. We got to get you turned out. Weirdly, those are all in Republican counties. It's a striking thing that Southwest Florida is going to get a special exemption to all the voter fraud stuff, and the rest of Florida has to live under this new sort of more draconian idea that you're, 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 you're under suspicion until you prove that you're a legitimate voter. So it's a striking, it's a striking hypocrisy on this guy's part. You know, for those of us 
or you and me who've been out there working in this system. Um, right. All the years I did this, I have never seen an election where any sort of voter fraud uh, would have remotely made a difference. And what we have right. to realize is America, we can't get people to vote when it's legal. Why <laughs> do we think someone's going to wake right. up in the morning and go like, I think I'm going to commit a felony and go vote. Like, right. really? I mean, it's, it's, it's always been a onesie-twosie problem. You know, know it's I'm not saying, a... Is he either going to vote or knock off a 7-Eleven? I don't know. I think I'm I, I, it's just it's such a ludicrous sort of absurd. It really idea. is. It really is. Uh, I'm a nut on this stuff, and I realize there's probably six and a half people in America agree with me. But I have got a soft spot in my heart, if not my head, for the Australian system where you have to vote or you get fined. Uh, right. You know, I, but we should make it as easy as possible to vote. You should be registered yeah. automatically when you turn 18. It should not be sort of a, a a process test. Right. And it shouldn't be this kind of like, it shouldn't be this thing where, where people become intimidated that if they don't have the right ID on election day, they're either disenfranchised or arrested because that's the fear they're trying to put into people is now with, I mean, anybody who forms an election police force, that's trying to send a very dark message. I think to people, Uh, because as you said, you know, this is, this is you and I've been doing this a long time. And the examples I've seen of voter fraud are like some asshole in Miami who gets his cousin's absentee ballot, you know, or, or some, some ding dong in the villages who, who votes for his dead wife, uses his dead wife's ballot to vote. This is not a scale problem. It's not a crime that people think. Speaking of criming, um, the last of the January 6th hearings in Washington, DC, I think there were some fireworks to it. Um, what do you think about how it's gone, Stuart? I mean, I, I was skeptical at first. I think they've done a yeah. credible job, but what are, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's 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 going to be it's going to be with us for a few more months at least. Yeah, listen, I think they have done an incredible job, um, and you know, um, I'm not surprised at Liz Cheney at all. In 2000, I had this experience of in the middle of the Republican convention in Philadelphia, getting called into. Uh, Cheney debate prep. And mm-hmm. it was a very strange thing. Yeah. I didn't know any of these people. And I walked into this, this room, and there were all these people. I assumed all of them like, were former spooks or something. Um, and then the, the Cheney family. Um, and it was actually a fantastic experience. Um, I've never known anyone in public life whose personal uh, interactions with that person are more different than their public persona. Um, and Liz ran the debate prep and she yep, did it with such, a, such a, a, a deft touch. And there were a lot of people around Cheney who thought a lot of themselves and, oh, yes. um, you know, would try to, including our, including our old buddy, Rob Portman. <laughs> well, uh, well, well, Rob, did, Rob, Rob did but it was, you know, people would say, okay, he had a lot of foreign policy people around it and they would sort yep. of opine upon what is a foreign policy approach to welfare reform? And it would be like, well, there's really not one. Why don't you just shut up? Um, right. And she could do this uh, with in, in such a um, perfect example of how to lead something. Um, mm-hmm. And Cheney did an interesting thing in that campaign. His daughters had jobs. People yep. worked for them, and they worked for people. They weren't just hangers on. Um, right. Which I always thought, you know, was a good model of how to do this thing. 
Um, and Cheney had, by the way, I, I think it's true, the first all-female-run uh, presidential operation. I mean, everyone in the vice presidential's top staff in the campaign was uh, female. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's yeah. right. And Liz was just so impressed. I wrote this book called A Big Enchilada about the 2000 campaign, and I predicted she'd run for president. Uh, I just didn't <laughs> think it would work out this way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, look, I, I you call this before it happened that this was not going to go down um, the way that uh, other transitions have. And, you know, I, I think one of the sort of telling little aspects of this is our inability really to grasp what happened is we keep saying that Trump was trying to uh, end a peaceful transition of power. When, in fact, he did end a peaceful transition of power. Right. There was a transference of power, but people died. And a lot of blood was shed. And a lot of mm-hmm. lives were shattered in his inability to accept it. And I, I think it was obvious if you knew politics the way you know you and I know it, that this involved a all aspects of the Republican Party, from the in, from the president to the White House staff to the RGA oh, yeah. to the senators and their Senate staff, um, the Rep- sure. Republican Attorney General's Association was involved. Big Republican donors were involved. Yep. Um, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. Look at Josh Hawley. I, you know. Staff of someone like Josh Hawley, they just not just say go out there and do this. They're you know, oh, we're surprised he went out and did this. You know, raised his fist. Yeah, no, that was it. That was advanced. That was planned. The whole thing was there. All planned. All planned. And I'm on the side of the Mike Pence thing that I I think Mike Pence was surrounded by this conspiracy for Mm -hmm. weeks, if not months before. I think he had a legal and moral and patriotic obligation to let people know that this was in the works. Sure did. And he didn't call the FBI. He didn't call a press conference. He called Dan Quayle. And the only reason he called Dan Quayle is because, is there like a way I can get away with doing this? And I think that at the last minute, it was clear it was going to fail, and he threw in with the winning side. So, right. I mean, if, if, if we're supposed to give uh, Pence credit for this, I mean, we should get credit for driving here. I passed 13 banks and I didn't rob a one. Um, right. Yes. It, the, I mean, I think what we saw in this, in this, this sort of wrap up is exactly that, Stuart. It's like the people that were in the conspiracy um, have all pled the fifth. You know, it's, it's almost like a field guide to who these people are. The ones who pled the fifth are involved in this, uh, you know, up to their asses. The ones who who were the who were the cowards and who were the the guys behind the scenes. One guy that really just pissed me off was Steve Scalise, who is in there in the room with McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and others while this is happening. He knew exactly what was going on, and then he came out later to to a podium and said, "Oh well, I want to know if Nancy Pelosi was involved in in reducing the the protection of the Capitol. Did she help plan this?" I mean, go fuck yourself, dude. I, the guy, it, what, what a pathetic human being! Yeah, truly, truly, and 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 I think that this this idea that the committee has changed the dialogue on this, yes, I believe they have. Have they successfully counteracted it or, or turned a set of you know incentives on their head so Republicans won't do this again? Not really. And I think the, you know the fact that they subpoenaed Trump, it's meritorious, but 
and no matter what he says on, on his 4,762 truths on Truth Social, you know, since the, since the hearing, he's not going to testify. He's not going to come and testify. Uh, the, he will try to run out the clock on this. And, and that to me is really concerning because it's a rule of law question at a really fundamental level. It's like, if we don't have a rule of law where people respect subpoenas and, and the process, you know, we're, we're one step closer to the old proverbial banana republic. You know, my suggestion, I think the best way to get Trump to testify would say, we're going to have this hearing in the dressing room of the Miss Teen Universe uh, dressing room. <laughs> and that, you know, the dude might show up. It might work, man. That, he, might, uh, he might plead the fifth, but he doesn't. <laughs> we'll get him a show. I mean, the, 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 the degree um, to which the criming is is still unpunished and, and that there's still a sense that, you know, that they're going to refer him to the Justice Department. And I think a lot of people, because of the Justice Department, you know, moves in glacial time, are still sort of scared that we're not going to get any accountability for this guy before he declares for president, which I don't know about you, but I think it's going to be on election day or the day after. You know, it's, I think it's going to come much faster than people think. Yeah, I was with somebody yesterday who actually worked in the White House, uh, was close to Trump before he ran. Um, who, you know, has now realized this was a mistake and that he was kidding himself that Trump wasn't a monster. Um, mm -hmm. And he was completely, 100% convinced that Trump would run. As he says, he's motivated by two things, money and ego. Yep. It, it is good for his ego and it's good for his finances, sort of the business of Trump, Inc., if he runs. Sure. But, you know, I, I still just can't wrap my mind around how... People that we know are sane have enabled this, which is to say that not just that they've gone along with it, but they've enabled it. Sure. Um, I, I don't understand it. You know, I, you've written about this and it was all a lie. I've written about it in, in everything Trump just dies. Tim Miller's written about it and why we did it. And I think, I mean, that to me is still always like the weird gap. It's like, why are these people that we know in, in, in the class that enables all of this stuff to happen? Cause look, guys, a presidential campaign isn't just Donald Trump, a cell phone and a, and a, and a, you know, fleet of secret service suburbans. There's a lot of moving parts and there are a lot of people who are competent, uh, technical, smart people who have to be there to run something like this. It's not run by the guys in the, in the wife beater t-shirt and the MAGA hat and the, and the, and the drugstore Costa sunglasses. It's run by serious people. We know a lot of the people behind the scenes, behind the curtain in Trump Inc and Trump world. And they're not monsters, but they're working for a monster and they're comfortable working for a monster. And they're comfortable working for somebody who isn't hiding the fact that he wants to, to, basically turn this country into a, uh, you know, a, a, an autocracy. It, it's kind of a, it is always a shocking sort of moral question. But, you know, the incentive structure in Washington, you know this, people make a lot of money. And so they shut up and they make a lot of money. And they're, they're like, well, I'll get mine before the, before the whole thing burns down, I guess. But those folks will be on the enemies list. Look at these congressmen. And senators who are endorsing uh, people who they know uh, are trying to help destroy the country. I mean, and let's be clear. Ron DeSantis went to campaign for Doug Mastriano, a vicious 
vile, repulsive, anti-Semitic scumbag. And that was because Ron DeSantis wanted to, you know, work on his 2024 presidential campaign. They, they understand that the monster that is the Republican base can only be fed by the crazy and can only be fed by, by the, by the, by the lunacy, which is, you know, which goes back to why the, the Yunkins and the DeSantis's are, I think, particularly dangerous because they go out into a corporate boardroom here in New York to raise money. And they say, oh, I'm just I'm just fooling the roots. I'm just playing the game. I just have to deal with those dirty little people so I can get the win the primary. Then I'll be normal. But they can't ever really be normal. Once you once you you know, it's the old rule. Don't fuck crazy. Once you fuck crazy, you're with it. You're stuck with it. And and, and I think that, you know, you see these respectable Republicans who are out there campaigning for Carrie Lake or Doug Mastriano um, or J.D. Vance or Blake Masters. And you have to put them on a list. You have to put them on, on, on a category at that point where they're not the people who who they're playing in the boardroom. They're the people that are out there with the lunatics who believe that QAnon is real and that Donald Trump is the legitimate president. I'm thinking about just watching that clip of of um, Herschel Walker in this oh, God. whole story, right? So over his, I guess, right shoulder is Tom Cotton. Right. And, you know, you know what the guy's thinking, like, I went to Harvard for this. Like, right. Can, you know. Rick's, uh, Rick Scott's on one side of him and Tom Cobb's in the other. Rick Scott's on the other, like, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I had a former, I had a former Scott advisor text me the other day. He said, Scott looks like he's particularly constipated. I was like, oh, my God. They can't draw the line. They really can't. And, and I mean, that, that bridges to me to one last thing I want to talk about today before we, uh, before we wrap up this episode. And that is that I think a lot of voters in America are not conscious or are not adequately engaged on the fact that Mitch McConnell and the RGA and the National Republican Congressional Committee, they're not putting these candidates who are so crazy out there, you know, just on their own. They depend on a big tidal wave of corporate money every cycle. And McConnell in particular, the Senate committee in particular, raises, raises over $150 million in a cycle um, in order to elect these people. And a lot of that money comes from corporate America. A lot of that money comes from, from corporations that would like to play one thing on TV and then behind closed doors, they're like, okay, we got to take care of McConnell. We got to make sure we get Blake Masters. We've got to make sure that JD Vance wins in Ohio. And I think that's one thing that, you know, the Lincoln Project has done a good work on. I mean, we can't scale it big enough to, to go after all of them because, you know, Washington's lobbying core is a, right. is a, is an infinite pool, an infinite cesspool. But I mean, it's, it's certainly something I think we need to pay attention to. And I think voters need to pay more attention to. Yeah. I mean, why is DoorDash giving to the Republican Governors Association? Sure. Um, Google. And I, and I think, that, you know, as consumers, this is our money. If you're doing business with DoorDash and then DoorDash is in, you're giving them the money. They wouldn't exist without your money. And then DoorDash is in giving money to the Republican Governors Association. Where is that money going? It's going to elect people who are trying to destroy democracy. And they're pretty open about mm -hmm. it. Terry Lake, Mastriano. Um, so they don't talk about this a lot because they don't want you to know it. 
And they're doing it. I don't think it's really ideologically driven. They're doing it because they want to curry favor with governors so they don't get regulated out so they can do this business. Yep. And look, I mean, you could say maybe even 10 years ago, it's kind of the way the world works. But when it gets to a point that you're electing people who really are autocrats, does it not dawn on them that what they're going to do is what autocrats do? They're going to interfere in this free enterprise system. They're going to make sure that their own cronies get the best jobs, as did Hungary. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're a CEO in America today, you have it pretty good. You want to be a CEO here? You want to be a CEO in Hungary or Russia? And you need to wake up and realize that this is uh, a system that you have to defend. Yep. And, and I mean, it, 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 the, the benefit for right now, American CEOs are like, well, of course, I'd rather be here than Russia. I mean, I don't want to get thrown out a window. But kleptocracies always start out looking different than they end up. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, Russia's kleptocracy is now, if you're a CEO of a, of a big company in Russia, you have a good chance of mysteriously falling out of a window or falling down a flight of stairs or being poisoned. And that's a, that's a system that looks like capitalism when it starts and turns into kleptocracy and autocracy as it ends. And, and that all these people think, okay, I'm going to play the game now in DC so I can get my, make sure that I'm okay, that my company's okay. I think those folks are playing a fool's game. Well, listen, folks, thank you so much, Stuart, for being on with us on the, on the premiere episode here of the enemies list. And uh, I will obviously be talking to you again in the next, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes, probably on all of our, all of our other business with Lincoln Project. Uh, but I will uh, once again, thank you for being with us and for your wisdom as always, sir. And I will talk to you very soon. Thank you, Rick. Folks, every week we're going to put somebody on this podcast on the enemies list. Sometimes it'll be for trivial reasons because they're just assholes. Sometimes it'll be for serious reasons because they're a threat to this country. This week, it's kind of a combination of the two. The first is the threat. And although he is behind in the polls right now, I still think Doug Mastriano is one of the most dangerous, terrifying figures in American politics today because he's building a little bit of a cult following around him. He's an active insurrectionist. He is a vicious anti-Semite. He is a guy who makes Steve Bannon look like Henry Kissinger. He's so far out there into the into the, the the bizarro conspiracy world that you can barely stop from mentioning the protocols of the elders of Zion and other weirdo things. So it's important to really focus on people like him because he's not an outlier anymore. He's not the extreme of the Republican Party. He is the Republican Party. He is what they are. He is the core of the new crazy coming out. And when you see people like Carrie Lake and, and, and Doug Mastriano running as governors, which is a job people forget under our constitutional system is reposed with unbelievable power in most cases, and including Pennsylvania. This is a guy who, who is truly a vicious guy, truly a dangerous guy, and truly a scuzzy guy. Now, the second Pennsylvania subject, and I'm going to loop around to exactly who's really on the list here in a moment. You guys are going to get it. The second guy on the enemies list in Pennsylvania is Dr. fucking Oz. I mean, this guy's campaign, Oz himself, the Republican Party supporting him. It's this singularity of shitty human beings. And I'll tell you, it, it, last week it was the RNC and Republican Senate Committee and Dr. Oz uh, making fun of Fetterman having a stroke, which really pissed me the fuck off. I got to tell you, 
because look, I have a family story. I'm going to go, I'm going to make it brief. My father was in a terrible, terrible accident when I was a teenager, suffered traumatic brain injury. It took him years to come back from it. I mean, years. He was in and out of the hospital for two years. He was in a coma for almost nine months. It was, it, it, it damn near killed him. And I saw how hard he worked to, to come back from that. And you can see how hard Fetterman is working to come back from this stroke. He's not only running a statewide campaign, but he's he's doing all the things to get his 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 vocal faculties back. He's doing all the things to to get back to where he can is is verbally cogent. The, there's nothing wrong with the guy, except there's a roadblock when you have TBI and when you have a stroke of getting your 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 ability to communicate back. And you know the irony of this is it was all keyed off by the by by Osna's campaign guys by a bullshit story on NBC that got spun up into a social media controversy where they were pretending that you know Oz was drool or Fetterman was drooling on himself and could barely know his own name. It was bullshit. So the idea that they're using this as a campaign tactic has put Oz on my on my list generally about a week ago. But we've all heard the stories about Dr. Oz in the last few days about the dogs. And look, I've had dogs all my adult life. I've had I I've had, I've got two beautiful German shorthair pointers right now and a, and a cat with no name. And the way you treat animals says something about how you are as a human. And the fact that Dr. Oz has been revealed to have conducted lab experiments that killed 600 dogs and other animals, including injecting expired drugs into the hearts of a litter of puppies to kill them, to see how they died. I'm sorry. I know you think there are bigger fish to fry. I know you think inflation is more important or Ukraine or climate or guns or any other thing, but this is really a shit tier human being. This is someone who is such a weirdo and a skis. He's a goddamn TV quack. He's a charlatan. He's a guy who sells supplements on TV to tell to tell women they can blow out their colons and lose four pounds. Get out of here. This guy's on the enemies list. But the main people on the enemies list right now are Pennsylvania Republicans. You guys produced great leaders for generations in both parties. And now you're reduced to Mastriano and and Dr. Oz, get your shit together. You're on the enemies list. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to the enemies list. This first episode is a little rough around the edges, just like me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We're going to have some fun on this show and I appreciate your listening. We want to grow this thing quickly. We want to have an impact on the discourse and the debate in this country. Tell your friends, your family, random strangers, and anyone else who'll listen to subscribe on all the usual places where you can find the enemies list. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. And folks, I know you've heard this a million times, but if you could rate and review the podcast, it would really help. And the more you share it, the more you rate it, the more you let people know what it is and how you like it, the better. Hey, thanks again for listening, folks. And I really appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you again very soon.